Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. There's Peter 3. It's in the back, if it matters. My page is uh, 858, so if that helps. First Peter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. There's a word we banned at our house. We had to ban the word. Completely off the list, cannot say it, it's illegal, you go to the penalty box, cannot say the word. The word is banned. Wasn't a cuss word either. Probably should have been, but it wasn't. The word is always. Do you know why we had to ban that word? Some of you are smirking like, I know exactly why. Because in the heat of an argument, there's this weird thing that happens. Somebody who occasionally does something in the heat of an argument now always does it. Always. We eat Mexican food always at my house. You always leave your stuff on the bathroom floor. Always. Always. Really, always. Always. We had to ban the word because the word isn't fair. It's not a fair word. You take an occasional thing and you amplify it to an always thing. So let me tell you this. If you are married and you find yourself using the word always or never, I've never done that. Never. These are huge words, all right? Huge words. I've never done, okay, I've done it like four times in our marriage. Okay, well, those four times hurt my feelings. Okay, fair argument. You always, always, you've done it like three times, and it irritates me in 20 years. It makes me mad. Yeah, fair argument. Always had to go. Can't use it. It's only found seven times in the New Testament, which makes sense. Sounds like they kind of banned the word too. Don't say always. You can't say, you can't just always say always. That's not, they kind of banned it too. It's only found seven times in the New Testament. But this is one of the times right here. Always be ready. Always be ready to give an apology, an apologetics, to give a defense of. That's the word. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always. Always. Always, always, always be ready. Always be ready to give a defense. Always be ready to give an answer to anybody who asks, so why do you have this hope in Jesus? Why? Always have an answer. Peter is, uh, Peter's pretty intent on this. And I think probably for a church, one of the downsides of what's gone on in the church over the last 50 years, maybe 
maybe a little bit longer, is we've tried to survive off of the, the good reputation that we had 75 years ago. Church used to do a lot of good work. Used to really knock it out of the park. We tried to survive on that without doing our part. And you see what happens. People falling off the vine, churches full of corruption, scandals everywhere. It's an absolute mess. And why? Because we just kind of held on to daddy and granddaddy's coattails, hoping that maybe that would get us there, and we had no defense for the reason. Well, here's the problem. Why don't we have a defense? Why don't we always have a defense? If somebody steps in and they say, okay, at gunpoint, every single person is going to give a defense of their faith, go. Get in line, go. If you don't have one, it's over. Who's up? There's a little bit of panic that could set in. Why don't we have a defense for our faith? Listen, this isn't, this isn't a, um, a philosophical defense. This isn't a scientific defense. This is, do you personally have a defense for the hope that you have? The hope that you have in Jesus that causes you to wake up on Sunday morning and show up here. Why is that? Why? Uh, habit. What is your defense? Why do you have the hope that you have? You have to have a defense. And Peter is holding this standard so incredibly high. He pulls out a banned word and says, always. There is absolutely zero reason for none of us to ever not have a defense for the faith and the hope that we have. Our church word is evangelism. Evangelism is a word that's made up by two other words. The first one is well done, and the other one is messenger. A well done messenger or even a well done message. A good message. Okay, you see where we're going, right? Good news. Good announcement. Good news. To evangelize, it's cool. The other breakdown of the word is to gospelize. Gospelize. I thought that was kind of a cool word to gospelize your neighbor this is evangelize you must take the good message to them and if you take the good message to them do you know what that makes you an evangelist a good messenger that's what it makes you and so our call is that and here's the thing about christianity christianity is part and parcel evangelism everybody who is here is here due to evangelism Somebody shared the good news with you. Maybe it was a mom. Maybe it was a dad. Maybe it was a youth minister. But somebody did it. Somebody did the job of evangelism. And then Peter comes to us and he says, now we must do the job just the same. We must share this message just the same. But here's the thing. I say to you, do you have a defense for your faith and are you taking your faith and evangelizing the world? There are a few things that begin to unfold for us um, in this room. Let me tell you what they are. Just a few things. When Jesus resurrected and he came back and he pulled the disciples to the side and he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He deputized them. And at our baptism, we are deputized as well. 
deputized us to say, now, go do what I did here. Go do what I did here. And so then here's the question. Let me ask the super awkward question, okay? This outrageous, in our mind, way too big to even think of, how many of you are sharing the gospel with the people around you? I can't even get through the sentence, can I? I can't get through the sentence without all of a sudden there's this, like many of you, your heads just went like this, like, Why is that? Because it's awkward. That's why, because it's super awkward. Hey, it's like the comedian, Jim Gaffigan. He started off his show at one point, and he said, Hi, I want everybody here to be comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. And that was everybody else's response as well. Just like, <laughs> oh, I hope he doesn't. Why? Because you just chose the most divisive character in all of history, all of history, and you initiated a conversation with somebody surrounding this person. Hey, don't talk about, don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion, don't talk about money. There's questions you can't ask. So how much do you make? There's questions you cannot ask, but then all of a sudden the gospel shows up and it says, hey, would you take the most controversial character in the entire world and you know, just go over there and throw him in your neighbor's yard? Like a hot potato, you know, kind of like a hand grenade. Like, that's what we're supposed to do? This is so awkward. Why? Why is it so awkward? We talk about everything else. We will take all of our dirty laundry and put it all on Facebook. Put it on Twitter. We'll do it. We don't even care. We'll just air it out. When it comes to Jesus, go over there and tell your, tell your neighbor about Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. I love him. I do. I love him. But he doesn't make friends easy, you know? so controversial. I think there's a reason why this happens. So let me tell you a few of the responses in the room. Number one, um, guilt. Some of you were like, oh man, I feel guilty. Some of you had this thought. Um, Jared, I subcontracted that out for you to do. <laughs> like that's why I pay my tithe every week so that you will go do the job that I find very awkward. You have a title and you can be like, hi, I'm a preacher and you can talk about Jesus and people will be like, well, what do you expect? He's a preacher. Okay. Some of you are like, yeah, no, I subcontracted you out. To do that, some of you, um, um, you, you started with this idea of um, I'm not good at talking with people. I'm not good. I'm, I'm a real shy person. I'm more of what you call an introvert. I don't really like to take my stuff and, and, and like put it out there. Oh, yeah? I better not catch you down at the ball fields this summer. Better not catch you down at the ball fields screaming and hollering, ranting and raving, sitting in the rowdy rooters section, you know. Others of you simply said, yeah, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Evangelism should not begin with guilt. You should never go share Jesus with someone because you feel, you feel guilty. Have you ever tried to do anything with a guilty conscience and it ever turned out good for you? Ever? Like a guilty, you have a guilty conscience and now you're going to go do it. What a twisted way to have to do uh, So Jesus gives you this super guilty conscience. Like, why aren't more of you sharing the gospel with your neighbor? Like, okay, like, okay, look, I need to. Can I talk to you about Jesus for just a second? Um, I mean, I feel terrible. I probably should have done this a long time ago. I feel terrible. Jesus is probably mad at me. And this person on the other side is looking at you like, are you okay? Are you? Like, are you good? I don't know. I just have this thing going on. Like, he's always mad at me. I feel like he's mad at me. Like, 
Uh, I don't know what church you go to, but I'm not going with you. That's so weird. That sounds like a really painful experience. It looks like a painful experience. I don't think I really want to be a part of your painful experience. Well, evangelism also doesn't begin with delegation. I got, I got some really, really bad news for some of you who are like, no, that's what you do, preacher. Like, I pull a lever at a factory. You do what you do. I do what I do. Let's keep work at work, all right? Uh, I, guess, I guess some news for you. Here's the, unfortunate, here's the unfortunate thing. If you call yourself a Christian and you wear the name tag, he was talking to you. He wasn't talking just to me. He was talking to you. It comes with the package deal. Read the fine print. Um, it's probably one in the back of the seat somewhere. Evangelism also does not begin with your own strengths or your speaking abilities. I don't know if you realize this. The more you mess around with Jesus, the more you have him in your life, the more you will come to learn that what he does tend to call you to is not your strengths, but rather your weaknesses. And here's the reason why. Because if we did everything on our strengths, do you know how we would accept this? Here's the way this would go down. Jared, that was such a great sermon. <sighs> of course. <laughs> Boy, now you really knocked that one out of the park. Yeah, well, going for a grand slam, but I'll take the homer, you know? Oh, really? He's just going to count on you? Just going to rely on you? No, why in the world would he do that? Because he's going to call you to your weaknesses. He's going to use your weaknesses. Because that's what ministry does. That's how he operates. What will force you to rely on him more? Using your strengths or using your weaknesses? Your weaknesses, of course. It doesn't have anything to do with speaking ability. Well, that's not really what my call is. Unfortunately, it is. There are different areas of, of, the, of, the, of the scriptures where it begins to talk about spiritual gifts. Do you know what one area is not? The Great Commission. You, go into all the world, preach the gospel, teaching them, baptizing them. Do it. Now go, get. What are you doing? Why are you standing there looking up and it? Go, get to it. That was the call. Final one. If evangelism is a deal breaker for you when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ and you're just an absolute, I'm not going to do it. I'm not doing it. If it's a deal breaker, we probably ought to have a conversation. We probably ought to back up a few more church words back to what the word saved means. What baptized means. We probably ought to sit down and discuss some of these these other elemental pieces because if, if, if you don't understand that, then yeah, you're probably going to struggle with the evangelism part. Evangelism is, evangelism is part and parcel what Christianity is. The message has to go forward. That's what Jesus talked about always. But the question for us today, how do we do it? It's so super awkward. How do we do it? Well, evangelism doesn't begin with guilt. It doesn't begin with your strengths. Let me tell you where it begins. Evangelism begins with your thankfulness. Are you a thankful person? Well, Jared, that doesn't seem to make sense. Evangelism starts with thankfulness? Absolutely, absolutely, 100% evangelism starts with thankfulness. If you are not a thankful person, then evangelism will not make any sense to you whatsoever. You have to be a thankful person. Colossians, if you have your Bible, Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7.
So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Rooted and built up, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Here's some, uh, here's some really bad news. Um, it, it's, like the, it's like the preacher who was preaching on joy. You know, the preacher who's preaching on joy. And he's standing up and he's like, Well, the joy of the Lord makes the world difference to people. And somebody in the back says, I think his heart forgot to tell his face. How in the world is your message going to be heard when all it is is nothing but negativity coming out of your face? You wear the negativity on your face. The words that come out of your mouth are negative. All your body language is negative. You're not thankful for anything at all in your life, and you expect other people to come to you and be like, so what makes you so cheery? What, what causes you to just be so happy about life? No one's asking that question. You see, if you are a thankful person, you know what happens? You immediately begin to change the way you operate. If you are a thankful person. I started something here not long ago. I started keeping track of little moments of inspiration or joy that unfolded in my life. Just as they would happen. I would pull out this little notebook and I would just write down this little thing, little moment of joy, little moment of inspiration to where I had some interaction with somebody that was a positive interaction. It was really kind of strange because I, it was just a sudden thought. I was like, I want to keep track of some of these deals. I was thinking about some stuff with, uh, with mental health, and I was thinking about depression. I was thinking about optimism, and I was thinking about, you know, how in the world do you balance some of this, and can you combat some of this on your own? What are some practices that we can, we can actually do that will help with this? I thought, I wonder if it would help to keep tabs on all the little things that happen in my life. If I just keep tabs on all these encouraging little moments that I have, I wonder if it would make a difference in my life. You know what I found myself doing? Looking for opportunities to write in my notebook. Looking for opportunities to set and write something down on my piece of paper. Now, how weird is that? I'm serious. It did not even matter. It didn't matter if the lady looked at me who was serving me a coffee, and she goes, here you go. And I said, thank you very much. And she goes, good to see you again. Huh. That was cool. Or the guy who greets me when I walk into the restaurant. Or the guy who's on the side of the road who walks every morning. Or a phone call that I have. Or a text message that I get. I just found myself looking for these opportunities to write these things down. And by, you know what else I realized? There are so freaking many of them. There's so many of them. And maybe you think to yourself, well, Jared, I would like to be more grateful, but pff, have you seen my life? Well, let's, let's ask just a few questions, all right? Let's ask just a few questions. If you want to write these down, write them down. This will maybe give you a little perspective. Question number one. What do you have in your life currently, right now, in your life, that you have not thanked God for? What do you have in your life that you have not thanked God for? When you look out your window and you look at the property, you look at your house, you look at your yard, you look at your neighbor, you look at your whatever it is, What do you have in your life that you have not thanked God for? 
well, my kids are annoying, you know? Are they healthy? Well, my spouse kind of drives me crazy. Well, does she keep coming home? You're like, yeah, unfortunately she does. Okay, well, somebody apparently loves you, and I don't know why, okay? Somebody does. Do you have your own health? Do you have people around you who care about you? Do you have a job that you go to? Question number one. What do you have in your life that you have not thanked God for? List them. List them. Question number two. What are the other people around you struggling with that you are not? We all do it. We all see it. We all have these moments to where you see a situation and it's unfolded, it's crumpled, it's broken, and you look at it and you think to yourself, I'm at least in a better situation than that. I'm at least in a better situation than that. I don't necessarily like the situation I'm in, but I'm not in that situation. What are other people around you struggling with that you are not? List them. Third one. Have you seen darker days? Mmm. It's a good one, isn't it? Have you seen darker days? Used to do this drug and alcohol recovery program years ago. And people would come in and they would be trying to get clean from, you know, methamphetamines, you know, alcohol, porn. And they really wanted to get their life put together. They would come in and they would just be like, I feel like I'm just white knuckling. I feel like I'm just going through one day at a time and I'm holding on like I haven't got this moment of clarity. I don't feel like I'm moving forward very good. And I would always ask the question, oh yeah, well when's the last time you slept on the bathroom floor? And to see the light bulb go off in their head, ah, it's been a long time. You're doing good. You're freaking making it. That's the last time. When's the last time you slept there? Okay, you're doing good. Don't get disheartened. Don't lose heart. You are on point. Sometimes the perspective is different. Have you had darker days? I'm just feeling so down. Is this the worst you've ever been? Oh, absolutely not. At my worst, <whistles> I was a disaster. You can ask my wife absolute mess, tyrant of an individual. If I had darker days, these, are, these days are not even dark in comparison. If you have had darker days, list them. Write them down. begins with thankfulness. When you get some perspective, overwhelming, overflowing thankfulness, that's where evangelism starts. When you appreciate your life, do you know what people will automatically do? Appreciate your life. When you appreciate everything that's going on around you, do you know what other people will do? They will begin to appreciate you being around. Because you are 
thankful. Your perspective matters. Everybody wants to be around somebody who is thankful, who is cheery, who is a ray of sunshine. I got to talk to a guy this last week, and I'm not kidding you. I, I don't know how beneficial our conversation was to me or him in the topic we were trying to discuss. I have no idea. We were trying to really mash through some stuff, and, and I was asking him some serious questions. I couldn't even get to the questions, and the reason why is because he was such a freaking ray of sunshine, and I felt so weird telling him that, but I had to tell him that. Like, you, like you were such a ray of sunshine, and he's looking at me like, okay, weird choice of words, but, but he was. So thankful for every single thing and person around him. Do you want to draw people near you? Do you want to make evangelism a whole lot less awkward? Then why don't you start being thankful for what's in your life and then let other people come to look over your fence to see why you are so cheery. That's where evangelism starts. Let's move some of the awkwardness completely out of the way on our end by doing a little bit of legwork. To whom much is given, Luke 12, 48 says, to whom much is given, much is expected. Do you have overwhelming blessing in your life? Then no, then no. God is standing there going, now, what are you going to do with it? Would you do anything different with your own kids? Hey, here's the keys to the new car. Have a good time. I know you got a restricted license. Hop to it. Really? Just like that. No. Mm -mm. To whom much is given, much is expected. Do you have blessing in your life? Listen, I don't care if you've got to stop using the widescreen 16.9 and you've got to move it down into a little bitty square and then maybe you have to move it down to something smaller and maybe you've got to use a magnifying glass and then maybe you've got to use a microscope. I bet you can find blessing in your life, something for you to be thankful for. Adjust your perspective, and everybody else will notice that. We are, gonna, we are not even going to get close to enough time. This is going to take two freaking weeks for us to get through this. So, it's so crazy. Luke must have just talked a lot during communion. <laughs> Next thing is this. Honestly transparent. Honestly transparent. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Look at verse 2. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Carry the burdens of others. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Your shame and your pain are pivotal for evangelism. They're pivotal for evangelism. Oh, I know. I know. I agree. I agree. I can, I can, hear, you. I can hear your thoughts. I would love to just leave it all in the back, please. Can I throw it over my shoulder, break off the rearview mirror, put it in the back seat, and just keep going and leave it all back there? Unfortunately, no, you cannot. You can't. 
your pain and your shame, both, your pain and your shame are pivotal for evangelism. Have you ever considered why in the Lord the Lord would even why why in the world the Lord would even allow you to have such terrible things in your life? Have you ever prayed the prayer, God? We don't have to get into specifics, but I just want to know by 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 show of hands, how many of you have ever prayed, God, please take this away from me? <laughs> oh, all of you? Please take this away from me. Why doesn't he just take this away from me? It'd be so much easier. If God wants me, <laughs> here was my logic. If God wants me to be more holy, which I assume he does, if he wants me to be more holy, and the Holy Spirit's role in my life is to move into my life and then begin to help pluck sin out of my life so that I can actually be better, why won't he take this one? Because if he took it, do you know how much more pleasing I would be to God? So much more pleasing. Do you know, do you know how much more arrogant I would be if he did that? Oh. Can you imagine? He cleans up all the sin in my life. He pulls away addiction. He pulls away pain. He pulls away. Can you imagine what I would do with that power? What's your problem? Look at me. All my stuff is together. What is your problem? I would lord it over everybody I came in contact with. Absolutely every single time. Oh, I would try to tell myself, well, you got to be humble. Well, you have to be humble when you're as great as me. Absolutely you do. What's my, now what's my trial? Humility. Got to be humble. Got to keep myself. Lord, it's hard to be humble. We are perfect in every way. It's an old song. But yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't take it away. Why wouldn't he take it away? Have you ever considered the fact that the reason he doesn't take it away is because it is an absolutely indispensable resource for you to work all the way through that problem so that you have answers and insights and power and connection. Have you ever thought about that? That maybe he let it be in your life and you think to yourself, it's pretty counterintuitive, Jared, for me to take my addiction and put it in front of God and say, okay, Jesus, thank you for this. Thank you for this thing that's ruining my marriage. Thank you for this thing that is ostracizing me from friends. Thank you for this thing that's costing my relationship with my kids. Thank you for this thing that has just ravaged my body and my mind and my soul. Thank you for this thing. You and I look at situations like that and we say, it's such a waste. Addiction is such a waste. Pain and struggle is such a waste. Shame is such a waste. I wish I wasn't, I wish I didn't have to carry this. Here's the problem. In heaven... There's no waste. From heaven's perspective, nothing is ever wasted. For all things work together for the good. There's that freaking word again. All. All things work together. All things, all things. 
Yeah, but I really, really, really botched some stuff up. All things. All things. Yeah, but this really cost me a lot. All things. All things work together for the good of those who love God and live according to his purpose. Have you ever considered the fact that maybe the reason he has not taken that away from you is because now you're supposed to do something with it? You cornered it. You got around it. Somehow you stopped. He gave you the ability to pull back and somehow get a moment of clarity and then stop. What are you doing with your pain and your shame? Are you trying to bury it? Trying to forget it? Trying to toss it away and pretend like you got it all, all taken care of? It's wrong. It's wrong. Within 12-step programs, there's a phrase, you don't get to keep it unless... You give it away. You're giving it away. Your pain and your shame matter. Does that mean you need to take every single thing and issue and problem that you have in your life and you need to tell every single person you bump into? Absolutely not. Please don't be that guy, okay? Super weird, okay? Don't do it. But there are moments when you bear your soul to another person for the simple reason you somehow sense they're stuck too. I've talked about this before. Don't talk about it often. I've talked about it before. Pornography had been a massive struggle in my life. When I began to talk about that openly, do you know what happened? Here's what, here's what happened. People started showing up at the church with the same phrase over and over. Here was the phrase. Uh, hey, uh, are you, uh, are you Jared? Yeah. Are you the, the pastor with the, uh, with, with, the, with the porn program? And then I begin to answer that question by saying, is that really what they're saying? Like they didn't say tall, handsome, eloquent, dashing, extremely athletic? Good in glasses or not? No one? That's not what they're saying? No, no, they're just saying, you're the guy with the, with, the, with, the, with the porn program. Okay. Shooting for something a little better than that, but we're going to go with it. I'll take you back to Paul's words. I will boast all the more in my weakness. I will boast all the more in my weakness because it is theirs, right there, only there, right in that moment. Then I can fully come to grips with the true power of Jesus Christ. That's where his strength is seen. Why? Because it has got zero to do with you or me, my friends. When you begin to take your brokenness and you put it on display and you set it out in front of people and you let them see your humanity, do you remember Jesus talking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. It's an interesting, interesting thing. This is a woman who is an absolute mess. She's a mess. She's at the well at noon, all by herself. Jesus shows up. Do you know what he first did? What he very first did when he got there? He sat down and he asked her for a drink. Do you know what that means? To you and I, we look at it and we're like, oh, I don't know, like I don't, maybe he was baiting her with something. Maybe he was really thirsty. Maybe he would, you know what it was? 
he offered her his humanity first. Here's my humanity first. He's Jesus Christ. He made fish and loaves. Do you remember this? Yet he's going to be thirsty and he's going to take his thirst and he's going to put it out in front of somebody else. Why? Because when you take your humanity and you offer it to somebody else, it's this idea that, okay, so you're broke too? Okay, you're safe. I can talk to you. You think, well, I haven't got my hands around the stuff that's going on in my life just yet. That's okay. Offer your humanity first. Offer your humanity first. Listen, nobody needs you to take somebody who you just meet and try to evangelize them by grabbing them and trying to jump off the high dive with them. Okay, come on, you want to go? Can I talk to you about Jesus? How about we start at the zero entry? And here's the zero entry. What's universal among people everywhere across the globe? Pain and shame is universal. You know what we have, though? We have a Savior who loves us, who has forgiven us, who restores us, who heals us. And that is the reason we have the defense and the hope that we have. What is your reason? What is your reason, your answer for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? What is it? Let me tell you what mine is. I mastered a whole lot of stuff in my life. But there's been a couple of areas I could not even get close to containing any of my sin. And he showed up and he did it. I botched relationships that shouldn't have been able, I shouldn't have been able to put back together. And in fact, I couldn't put them back together. But he did. You want to know my defense? Why I stand here? Why I care about it? Like I care about it? That's the reason why. He showed up and he took care of some things I was never able to harness in my entire life. That's why he's real to me. Next week, we're going to have to finish this up. Um, please don't leave here with the, with the thought process. Evangelism is so awkward, and it's so weird, and it's so hard, and it's so, it, it, it's, it's, I'm so out of place with it. Listen, when you take your humanity and you offer it first and a life of thankfulness, there'll be things that automatically happen. When you walk into the room and you begin to make other people the celebrity you are instantly the celebrity. People want to be with that. We have the greatest message ever. We heard it from the greatest messenger ever. He has equipped us with the Holy Spirit. And we can do this. It doesn't have to be awkward. It doesn't have to be weird. But it does have to be real. 